0: This morning I'll be reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 56, and I'll read the first eight verses. This will be projected on the screens for those of you here, or if you brought your Bible along, you're welcome to follow along there. Isaiah 56, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, Surely the Lord will exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants— All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel... I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Toward the end of September, the Niagara region grape growers and wineries really kick things into high gear. 13,600 acres of vineyards are heavy with over 46 varieties of grapes. The sugar and the acid in the grapes have reached their ideal levels, and now it is time for the harvest. This is one of the busiest times for the vineyards as they gather in their crop, and for the wineries as they welcome tourists and tasters from all over. I think people are naturally drawn to these kind of events of harvest and abundance, and especially in the case of wine, people participate in the festivities to kind of varying degrees. Many people gather. Some will be participants, but some will be more like spectators, Some people will go for a really immersive experience. They'll want to take off their shoes and stomp a barrel of grapes like they used to do in the old days. They'll have extended conversations with the local growers about the soil and all of that and the local sommeliers. Others, though, will be more like spectators. They'll be the designated drivers. There will be people who are dragged along by a friend or a spouse, even though they don't really care for wine all that much. They might eat the food but just sip on sparkling water or something. Now, as we enter the world of Isaiah 56, we are looking out on a ripe vineyard. The beginning of Isaiah describes a time for Israel when they would be like a dried-up, neglected, and dying vineyard, when God would send them to exile. Then just before the passage we read in Isaiah 55 God promises them that time when the rains would return, when God would tend the vineyard, cultivate it, make it beautiful again. God says there that the the growth, the splendor of the vineyard, that is God's covenant people, will be so attractive to the nations that nations they do not know will come running to them, wanting to experience the same splendor. Now here we are in Isaiah 56, And that is exactly what is happening. Others have seen the goodness of the vineyard, and they want in. They heard about the grapes and the wine and the food. They've heard about God's goodness, and now they are showing up to participate. The problem is that despite their desire to participate in the religious life of Israel, some people have been sidelined to the role of a spectator. And there are two groups that this text talks about, and both have been excluded from full participation. They are the foreigners and the eunuchs. Now, a foreigner was a non-Israelite person who came into temporary contact with God's people. So a foreigner would be like that business person from Egypt coming to trade his uh, grain for olive oil and wine. Or it could be a traveler moving in caravans up the major roads that run through Israel, connecting empires on either side. Or a foreigner could be even a military invader, someone a bit more hostile. These so-called foreigners would know about the God of Israel. They'd know what this God had done, and they would want to worship this God. But they were restricted. According to Exodus 12, none of these foreign people were allowed to participate in the Jewish feasts of Passover. According to Leviticus 22, they were not allowed to offer animals as sacrifice to God. God would not accept their sacrifices. And according to Ezekiel 44, they were not allowed to enter the temple. So you can understand why foreigners might say, as in Isaiah 56, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. This is not just in their imagination that this is happening. This is their reality. The other group of people that were sidelined to the role of spectator were the eunuchs. Eunuchs were also foreigners, but theirs was a more uh, specific struggle, you might say. Eunuchs were castrated males who were often given high government positions. They were given sensitive political positions in the nations around Israel. So it was not uncommon for men to actually agree to become eunuchs to advance their political career. And oftentimes slaves would be forced to become eunuchs. The thought was that they would be more trustworthy. They wouldn't pose a threat to the king or his progeny. Now, if you aren't quite understanding what I'm saying about what a eunuch is, this is the main point. Being a eunuch meant that these people would never have kids or a big family of their own. And in the ancient times, someone's long term health and safety and honor had to do with having a big family and a lot of kids. That's how someone could make their name last, by passing it on to the children, kind of like how we pass on our last names. Eunuchs gave that up. They weren't producing a family. And so we can understand why some might say, I am only a dry tree. A dry tree is not reproducing. And then to add salt to the wound, they were also excluded from full participation in the religious life of Israel. Deuteronomy 23 says no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even if they wanted to observe the Sabbath and worship God, they were not allowed to do it in the same way that the Israelites were. It makes sense that the eunuchs would not be feeling very welcomed or included, despite their desire to be part of God's people and to honor the Sabbath. Both foreigners and eunuchs showed up to the ripe vineyard that is God's restored people, but instead of participating in the celebration of the harvest, they have been sidelined to the role of spectator. Now, there's no doubt that many people today still feel like they show up to the goodness of God's vineyard with a desire to participate in the life of God's people, only to be sidelined to the role of spectator, or worse. Now, our situation is not exactly the same as the ancient Israelites after their exile, but I think we ought to still ask ourselves, where do we hear the echoes of the foreigners and the eunuchs? The foreigners might be anybody who shows up to our church or even to our broader community life who don't, who don't share the same kind of cultural background as the majority. In the terms of Isaiah 56, actually, most of us, if not all of us, would be in that group of foreigners. Since most of us, if not all of us, are not Jewish. We're Gentiles, We have been welcomed into God's family as foreigners, and yet we still find ways to keep others out. I often listen to a podcast called Pass the Mic. It's put on by a couple of uh, black reformed Christians. Recently, they shared a story of a black woman from Texas who was hired uh, by a church as their worship leader, But within a few days of her speaking out publicly against racial injustice, she was fired from her position with no explanation given. But the cultural expectations of that church became clear to her. We don't talk about that stuff here. She was moved from a a participant, even a leader, to an outsider, a cultural foreigner of sorts. Or I just learned this week that in the Christian Reformed Church, there is a whole history of discussion from about 1908 to 1982 on whether or not adopted children could be baptized or when precisely we could baptize them. For some time, the CRC did not baptize adopted children because they weren't sure that their birth parents were saved. Like, it hurts me to even say that. These children, often children, we should note, in transracial families, they were sidelined in the CRC. So we might understand if they echoed the words of the foreigner from Isaiah 56, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. This is not something that's just happening in people's imaginations. This is a reality for many people who desire to be part of the church. I think we can also hear echoes of the eunuchs' concerns today and the voices of other kinds of people who do not have children of their own. One of my very best friends, Bailey, was single into her 30s, and I thought she was really great at being single. She seemed like she was usually very content to be on her own, but she'd also just build really strong friendships with people. She'd mentor college students and volunteer for youth group. She'd come to my house and hold my babies and love on my kids, and I was too tired and grumpy to think straight. And so I asked her recently, like, is there a person or a text or a story in Scripture that's been um, used as a way to affirm your identity as a single person? Bailey told me, not really. I mean, the Bible's mostly just been used to tell me that I am incomplete. For all the church's emphasis on Paul, the New Testament letter writer and theologian extraordinaire, we forget that he was single and quite content to be single. Couples who do not have children may feel the same way, like they are incomplete, even like they can't fully participate in the life of the church. I mean, so much of what churches do is kind of geared toward families and parents of children. From our programming, even to our assumptions about what a mature and Christ-like Jesus follower looks like. Traditional ideas about families are so central. And of course, caring for families and supporting parents is something we should absolutely do. Yes, of course. We should do everything we can to love children and to support parents, but I think we would do well to also be aware of how that emphasis on families ends up making spectators out of people who do not have children or those who don't fit our idea of a traditional family. There's no doubt that many people today still feel like they show up to participate in the life of God's people only to be sidelined to the role of spectators while the rest of us enjoy the fruit of the harvest of God's ripe vineyard. In Isaiah 56, God tells the Israelites, it's not going to be like that anymore. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. That includes the outsiders and the childless who have come to the vineyard. The vineyard is open and the harvest is ripe. So, the boundary lines for who's allowed to participate in the life of God's people no longer is just about national identity, about being a Hebrew. Now, it's about those people who maintain justice, who do what is right. It's about the people who keep the Sabbath day. In other words, God honors and accepts those people who show up to the religious life of Israel ready to participate. For the foreigners, God makes his house a house of prayer for all nations. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, who show up to the vineyard, will be welcomed in. It's a kind of reversal of Leviticus 22 and Ezekiel 44. God would accept their sacrifices. God would allow them to enter his house. The vineyard is open and the harvest is ripe. For the eunuchs who come to God's ripe vineyard, God promises them something even better than sons and daughters. Imagine a patriarch like Jacob who had 12 sons, sitting in a rocking chair in his old age, looking at a kind of gallery wall of family pictures and family memories. Each son's family wearing a different color of shirt. Was that just my family who did that? He didn't really have a gallery wall, okay, but you get the idea. It's a way of memorializing one's family and legacy. God would give the eunuch something even better, a memorial in the temple, a place of belonging in the gallery wall of God's family. And the eunuch would not be able to pass their name on to their children, but God promises an everlasting name. God bestows on them his own family name. God gathers the eunuchs who come to the vineyard to be part of his family. They are no longer spectators. They're part of the celebration. Now in Acts 8, after Jesus had died and risen and ascended to heaven, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, came across a man in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the same book we read from this morning. He had just come from Jerusalem where he was worshiping the God of Israel. This man was an important official. He was in charge of the finances of the queen of Ethiopia. And like many people in sensitive government roles, he was also a eunuch. He was a foreigner and a eunuch. And as Philip approaches him, it becomes clear that maybe he needs some help understanding what he's reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip helps him to see how the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts 8 tells us that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah chapter 53 when Philip started helping him. I don't think it's too far a stretch of the imagination to imagine that maybe they made it to chapter 56. God gathered this Ethiopian eunuch into God's family welcoming him to the riches of the harvest through the sacrifice of Christ. The eunuch asked Philip, what, what stands in the way of my baptism? Well, in light of Isaiah 56, the answer surely had to be nothing. And Philip baptized him that day. His picture was put on God's gallery wall. He was given an everlasting name. The vineyard is open and the harvest is ripe. God is gathering in all kinds of people, making us all participants in God's harvest celebration. So, for anyone watching or listening this morning who has ever felt like you have been made to be a spectator instead of a participant in the family of God, God is gathering you in this morning. To those who feel like cultural outsiders in this church tradition, In Christ, God honors you and your expressions of worship. God honors the sacrifices you make to be here and the concerns that you bring to this family. And to those who feel like an outsider because your own family isn't made up of a mom and a dad and 2.5 kids, God is giving you a place on the gallery wall, a permanent memorial that testifies you belong here. Your contribution to this church family matters, and your name will not be forgotten. At one time, we were all outsiders, whether or not we ever felt that way. In the terms of Isaiah 56, like I said, most if not all of us would be considered foreigners because most if not all of us are Gentiles. None of us own this vineyard. We are, as the apostle says, those who have been grafted in. That is to say, through Christ, we have been joined to this family. We are recipients of God's invitation to gather and take in the fruit of the harvest. So let none of us say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Rather, having been gathered and we get to share that blessing. So when people show up to the vineyard of God's people restored through Jesus Christ, instead of sidelining them to the role of spectator, we have the joy of welcoming them to participate in the harvest celebration. The vineyard is open and the harvest is ripe. Thanks be to God.